Hello, everyone. Welcome to Oh Wow! The Podcast, a weekly recap and analysis of every episode of Skins UK starting from the very beginning. My name is Augustine, and today we have a very special guest to cover Season 2, Episode 6, which centers on Tony. Today's guest is TJ, who is the co-host of the podcast Gotham Outsiders, a Batman book club, which you can find on all the major streaming platforms. So I will just let TJ say hello to you all because I'm pretty excited to get into the conversation today. Oh my gosh, I am so excited to be here. Uh, To give a little background, I, I reached out to Augustine on Reddit uh, I, I've recently been getting into Reddit and found the Skins Reddit, and I saw one of her posts about this podcast, and I just, I, I basically I begged, I was like, can I please come on here? Not to sound desperate, but um, so I recently started, or recently as in last September, I started my own podcast, Gotham Outsiders, uh, which Augustine nicely introduced. And uh, right before I started that one, I almost started a Skins podcast because I looked around and I couldn't find one. Uh, obviously, it didn't work out. So when I found a oh, wow, uh, I just had to reach out. And I'm so glad it worked out. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to have some guests who have a little experience in the potting world and I think that TJ has a lot to say about this episode, so we're going to pretty much get right into it. But yeah, shout out to the Reddit for bringing all Skins fans together. When did you start watching Skins, by the way? Oh my goodness. I started watching it right after season five had just ended. I was probably freshly 15 years old uh, going into being a sophomore in high school. Uh, I binged it one summer probably illegally on YouTube. Uh, I don't know if you can still find all the episodes on YouTube, but that's where I found it. And I just felt, I felt so seen by the characters and what they were going through. And like, obviously it's a very heightened reality, but when you're a teenager, like everything feels so crazy big that you go through. So I just really connected with Cassie particularly and uh, surprisingly Tony which is kind of why I'm here for this episode. This is one of my favorite episodes. So this episode opens and Tony is having a nightmare about the buzz hitting him. So that's going to be the central plot of the episode is him dealing with the accident still. And he calls Effie over to read him a story. First of all, I have to point out her t-shirt, which had the gun and it said, I kill emo kids on it. Yes, this was the first time I'd ever noticed that. I guess because it was, was the first time I'd ever watched the episode uh, with an analysis lens going in. Um, so I was kind of dissecting everything and it's a weird episode. So I have a theory about this shirt and I'm going to bring it back up later. Okay, cool. Yeah, because there are so many good like hot topic core looks in this episode that I I think also not watching it illegally on YouTube and seeing it in high resolution, <laughs> I could actually read people's shirts for the first time. Yeah. So, I had to point that out and she reads him yeah. the story uh from a book of Greek myths about Orpheus who is trying to get his wife back basically, so he goes down to Hades. And the whole, like, ending point is that he has to get his wife back and never look back. 
you wanted to get into talking about the story. What were your thoughts on the story of Orpheus in this episode? Yeah, so obviously it's like, it's in your face. And they're like, okay, this is a metaphor. Skins is very blunt uh, when they use literary metaphors. And so when I, like I said, I'm so I was watching it with an uh, analysis lens going in. So I was started to dissect this in terms of how does this relate to the episode and like who who are the characters and skins that are supposed to be these characters we're hearing about in this story. Um, so when I first started this episode uh, this time around, I was like, okay, obviously Tony is the main character that we're hearing about that wants to get his his wife back. Um, and obviously the wife is Michelle obviously in quotes I'm doing right now. Mm. And I think there's an argument to be made that Sid could be Hades, at least through Tony's perspective. Uh, But I wanted to ask you how you interpreted it. Um, And I'm sure we'll come back to it later because I think my understanding of it evolved by the end of the episode. Yeah, they definitely reference the story, especially at the end of the episode. So I could see basically the same perspective as you. Maybe Hades is like him having to face his own issues that he has going on like he does in this episode. Definitely is something to keep in mind as yeah. we go through the episode. The whole, you know, this ends on don't look back and the whole episode is about Tony looking back. So I was like, well, this is kind of ironic. Like, how, how am I supposed to be interpreting this story and like take the analogy um in the way that the show seems to want me to when like am I supposed to be supporting Tony looking back or should he just get over it like I'm kind of on team you don't need Michelle and she's representing things to Tony from his past that she really shouldn't be representing um in terms of like having everything um you know so uh, yeah this was a journey for me uh and I'll come back to that by the end I'm sure that's interesting. I'm happy to hear a different perspective from mine because I didn't think about that really. That like, in order to really grow as a person, should he be trying to go back to everything that he had before? Is that really going to be possible for him to change if he's just trying to go back to normal? Right. Like he was a long. shitty person. He was yeah. a shitty person. And him and Michelle were not good together. So like, should we be rooting for them? I don't know. I think the show wants us to. And I think um, in terms of the beginning of this episode, I think they wanted us as viewers to be like, okay, Michelle is the wife that he's trying to get back. Um, And he obviously is the protagonist. Um, But I think that might change by the end of the episode. Uh, I've thought way too long about this. I'm happy to get into it. So the next scene we see is that they go to this nightclub, which is also going to be a central place in the episode that we visit a few times. So there's like this clubbing night and Tony is really pumped to be there. He sees that Chris and Jal are a little bit PDA on the steps. So they're like publicly out as being together and Anwar says that Sid and Michelle had already arrived at the club, and so everybody's there. Maxie and Jow are the best friends in this group. They both try to protect Tony in this moment of, like, 
they know Sid and Michelle are inside and they're trying to be sensitive to him, uh, you know, if for better or worse in that moment, I think they're the best friends in this friend group. Specifically, I have to shout out Maxie in the first episode of this season. Like, he was such a good friend to Tony. And I think it's a shame that this interaction right here is really the only interaction they get for the rest of the season. Um, and I think there's something here with Jal too. And maybe I'm sure she was getting more focused here because of the pregnancy twist that we had just figured out in the last episode. Um, but I, I really would have liked to see more Tony Maxi, Tony Jal. I, I think there's, um, I keep saying how shitty Tony is. And I think this episode actually shows him being a good friend for once, which is like a really rare thing. <laughs> Um, I mean, we actually, we just see him look at Jal. Her face kind of drops when they're on the steps. And there's there's this moment of recognition on Tony's face. Um, and I was kind of like, oh, like, is she, is he picking up on the vibe that she's lying about Sid and Michelle or like keeping that from him? Or is it deeper? Is it the pregnancy? Um, and then we cut to this next scene, which immediately answers that question I had, which uh, he asks Jal if she's okay. And I think... It's such a little moment, but it shows that Tony is very empathetic. Um, he's good at reading people. And in this moment, he's actually trying to be a good friend, which I think is really sweet. Maybe I'm just a Tony apologist at this point. <laughs> um, but I think it's really sweet. And the, I think this plays into the fact that he was he's very manipulative or was manipulative of people and their emotions. And I think to do that, you have to be empathetic and able to read people. And it's it's just really, really cute to see him doing it in a way that doesn't end in uh, blackmailing people. <laughs> yeah, I think Tony can be a good friend to people that he doesn't want anything from. And then as soon as you have something he wants, he will like start in with the manipulation and kind of just doing whatever. But I think the way he and Cassie interact in the episode too, like I think he's very gentle and sweet with Cassie and he could take advantage of that situation where she's willing to sort of get with him to get back yes. at Sid and Michelle and he has a moral ground with it and it's nice to see that he doesn't want anything from Jal or Maxie. Well, he's had his issues with Maxi, but at this point he's <laughs> over it. <laughs> yeah. To my uh, to my uh digress, I I am a shame I am a shameless Tony Maxi shipper in terms of I think they really had potential to like be a cool relationship. Uh that's why I'm like, oh Maxi and him should have had more in season two. And I'm like, you don't need Michelle Tony. Like Maxi <laughs> was there for you. Uh I have um an entire theory I've written here in my notes about Tony's sexuality. Uh, so I would love to hear your reading of Tony and what you think his sexuality could be or how you read it. Yeah, I think, I mean, Michelle represents like having the hot girlfriend and I don't think he really cares that much about her as a person. There is sort of that thing with like straight men where they just date the women that other men would see as being an accomplishment rather than going for the people they're actually attracted to a lot of the time. So that's kind of what I see. And then you add being a teenager where you're especially conscious of what other people think of you and your status. And Tony's very 
conscious about his social status. So I think winning Michelle back, a lot of it is to get his social status back. And for sure, especially the way they talk about Sid, where they're like, oh, come on, Sid, like you're a beta, basically. Uh, (laughs) So how do you read? um, One of my favorite episodes is the Russia episode. And I really love how casual Tony is with the wanting to hook up with Maxie. And I think it's totally fair to read it as like, oh, a straight dude experimenting who's very comfortable with himself. Um, And then there's also like an argument of like, is this someone who's bisexual or pansexual? Um, This episode in particular uses the term polysexual later, uh, which will, will open up a whole other can of worms when we get there. Um, so I was curious what you thought about that. If I had to give Tony a label, I guess I would say I would read him as bi. Yeah. Um, but just like very much closeted. Right. And sometimes open about it, but like too self-conscious about how people perceive him to really be yes. open about who he is. That's my thoughts. How about you? <laughs> like, and not to... I'm totally labeling him or as you pointed out and that's not my goal I guess my is that when I was a teenager watching this show I was looking for that queer rep specifically with male characters because that's just how I identify uh, of course there's Maxie uh, and Tony I just really I mean let's be honest I was in love with Nicholas Holt so the fact that there's this scene where they hook up I was like oh my gosh oh my gosh I read into it um, and yeah I read it as that kind of not not the complete opposite of you and that like he's hiding it but like i mean because he's a teenager of course he's kind of keep gonna keep it on the dl if he is but he was so shameless about it in the scene with maxi and he just seems so comfortable with himself even if he's not comfortable with everyone knowing it happened he seemed to be pretty cool with it so like either if he's straight or he's queer i I got the vibe that he was comfortable in his own skin in terms of sexuality. There's a conversation to be had about Tony and his need for control and how he feels powerful when he has that control and powerless when he doesn't have it, which was something that came up near the end of the first season, I think. Uh, And then, of course, he gets hit by a bus. So his, you know, worst nightmare type thing. Um, But... If someone finds, so Tony in his situation loves to be in control of everything. If something goes unaccording to plan, like he almost has like an OCD-ness to him, to me. Like when we see him and his pristine room and his routine, um, this is someone who, you know, I don't want to say OCD because I'm not like a psychologist. (laughs) Like my co-host, Chris, shout out Chris. But I think he might, I think there's a theory there. And so if you have, if you're a queer person, you think you're straight, but then you realize you're queer, there's a sense of like loss of control there. Things aren't going according to plan. So I'm going to tie this back into my like, oh, I wish this would have been something we explored in season two, whether that had been like uh, sexuality and seeing Tony's side of that, Um, just because he's a character that is based in sexuality because he's so promiscuous and... I don't know. I feel like there's a story there, whether it's the one I want to see where he realizes he loves Maxie and needs him. (laughs) uh, And they're destined, of course, you know, all the fanfics are out there. Um, But I don't know. Yeah, I had to get that info spiel out there. 
Yeah, I think one of my favorite things about skins in what other people have said on the Reddit too is just that the queer representation is very casual, unlike a lot of American shows. Like, the first person that comes to mind is Kurt from Glee, who, like, his entire yes. personality is, I'm gay, I'm the gay character, I'm the gay one. Like, and a lot of, like, queer characters are just so one dimensional. So even, like, Cassie being very casually pansexual by whatever she is yes. but it's not her personality trait and so tony's sexuality it's like something we notice and can right. comment on but it's nice that there's so many queer characters that it isn't just one dimensional and it's just one piece of them so i, I like that about skins a lot so i'm obviously fitting into my own self-interest in terms of like oh i want to see this but i think um even if tony is queer which i think he probably is the fact that it is so casual like you're saying i think that's very charming uh especially for a show that was in 2007 and like you're saying with cassie for sure um which they get a bit more explicit about that in a, the end of the season i think and, but maxi specifically like not that so justice for maxi he deserved his own episode but uh, I think they did a really good job of not making him, you know, I'm the gay one while still making that a big part of his identity uh, because it, it's going to be a big part of someone's identity. Um, and like Kurt from Glee, like you're right that he was the gay one. That was his character. He was the stereotype. And I think there's a place for that type of representation too, because there are people that are the stereotype, but when that's the only representation we're seeing, that's where the, that's when it's a problem. Uh, and definitely in 2007, I think that was the only representation we were seeing. So Skins was ahead of its time in terms of uh, sexuality. Uh, not that it did it fantastically all the time, but it, um, you know, of course you'll get into Next Generation. Uh, it contributed very much to um, teenage sexuality and representation. Um, and, you know, there's also the conversation of how it could have done better. But, you know, I have mostly positive things to say. You mentioned Tony's need for control and his rigidity. And I think going into the rest of this episode, we're definitely going to see his attempts at getting everything back and how sort of letting go of that control comes into play. So Tony buys a pill from Cassie and he takes it. And she's sort of hanging out with him throughout the night and he's rejecting her advances, I guess. She's kind of on this revenge scheme plan, which is probably what I would have done at the time. Right. <laughs> and he's surprisingly not super into it, but he's telling her it wouldn't work because his dick isn't working. And that's something that he's obviously really insecure about and is basically the reason Michelle and Sid are together is because she couldn't be patient and wait for him right. to get everything back in order. So the pills kick in and he's like super manically dancing and sweating and he's like really jazzed up. And All can... the boys go, yeah, boy! And that <laughs> yeah. part makes me laugh every time. <laughs> he confronts Sid, who's just laying on the couch with Anwar, and he's kind of telling Sid, like, you and Michelle are not going to end up together. And we hear Sid, I had to write this down, where Sid goes, 
Well, I'm objecting strongly. <laughs> yes, Sid is so passive and uh, gosh, there's such a fun dynamic. We're talking so much about uh, Tony and his need for control and feeling powerful. And I feel like Cassie has that same um, like archetype of character in that she also feels powerful when she is in control of her uh, eating, you know, for better or worse. Like that's obviously, they, they both do it in negative ways too, where Cassie takes it out feeling powerful through her eating disorder. Uh, and Tony, you know, is powerful in very negative ways, taking advantage of people. So these are two characters that I think have a lot in common. Uh, they both have neglectful to a degree parents, maybe Cassie a little bit worse. Uh, not that all any of the skins characters have great parents, maybe except Maxie. Um, but I, these are two characters that I think there could be a lot to explore here. And maybe this is just a part of my, oh, I'd love to explore Tony's friendships more. But that scene between Tony and Cassie is so much fun and just their banter. Um, and... But, oh, she says, this is important. She says, fine and dandy. Uh, and I think he might repeat it. And of course, that's something that's going to come back throughout the episode. Yeah, I agree that they have a lot of similarities and that the dynamics in their relationships to Sid and Michelle are not too different either. Like, they are definitely the one in charge of the relationship um, or who, like, wants to have all of the control. So I definitely agree with you there. So do you think Cassie heard Tony and what he was saying and she was just fucking with him? When she was like, what? I can't hear you. Or do you think she yeah. was genuinely like... Oh, I okay. think she was teasing him. And okay. then I think the music stopping when he's like, my dick doesn't work. I think that yes. was just like an awkward timing thing. But Like, okay, I'm so glad you brought that up because yeah. this episode is so dreamlike and surreal and absurd uh, from start to beginning. Like, it starts with Tony waking up and going back to sleep. And then we fade into this club scene where we're at... And it almost feels like it's a dream that he's dreaming. And by the time we get to, which I think this is being played as a humorous moment where everyone just stops and looks at him uh, and it works, it's funny, but I don't think that would happen in real life. Like That's like a nightmare no moment. <laughs> exactly. It's almost like we're in a nightmare of Tony's and you know this it's going to continue throughout the episode, but I think this is one of the more subtle moments where it's like, I almost missed it because it's funny. And then I was like, wait a minute, this, is, this isn't this is real. Like this episode just really makes you question what is real and what isn't. Yeah, there's a lot of theories, especially like on the Reddit threads about this episode in particular, which is why I didn't want to just sit and talk to myself about it. Like I'm happy to have someone to bounce <laughs> it off of because I would sound nuts just being yeah. like, or like it could all be a dream. Like, right. I mean, this is probably, in my opinion, I, I think it's one of the more artsy episodes of the show. In I hate saying that because I feel like every episode is beautiful and has really deep themes. Uh, but this one is just like a mind fuck and it's like you can watch it over and over again and every time pick up something new have a new theory and i don't know if there's another episode in the show quite like it um so it's it's not like my favorite comfort episode for those i go back to like both of maxi's episodes i just love them and think they're really fun but this one i think is like top tier in terms of like 
I'm going to say artistic, but I don't know if that's the right word I'm looking for. Yeah, I definitely feel like I just watched it right before we're talking and was taking notes and I had to take a little bit of time to process because you really feel the anxiety that Tony has the whole time. Like they really push that feeling of almost paranoia and anxiety and it's kind of like a little bit Donnie Darko vibes. Yes, I love Donnie Darko. Yeah, so... And the symbolism, it is pretty in your face compared to other episodes. Um, so, you know, yeah. I don't know, unless we talked with the writers exactly what they were trying to make as symbols, but I think the dreamlike thing is definitely part yeah. of it. I may have written Jamie Britton in hopes of picking his brain about this beforehand. Uh, obviously, it didn't pan out. Um, I was hoping I could just like ask him a couple questions. I just love this Tony Cassie montage so much. Uh, but when it starts on they're both taking a drink very hesitantly, I just love that moment because it shows like they're both trying to show that they're okay. They they both always are play acting, putting a version of themselves forward that isn't entirely real with Cassie and her. Oh wow, like that's not Cassie, um, not at her core at least. And Tony. Uh, I think they established in the Effie episode of season one that, like, he makes himself an asshole. That's not really him. Like, I would have loved to have seen a Tony-Cassie friendship blossoming here and, like, lasting a couple episodes, maybe trying to make Sid and Michelle jealous. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I was surprised that they didn't at least give it, like, one episode of that being a thing. But so after Tony and Cassie hang out a bit their scenes together when he's antagonizing Sid Sid is uh objecting strongly to the confrontation and then Tony feels sick he runs into the bathroom to puke he's in the bathroom stall and I noticed it says love lies limp on the bathroom stall yes and of course, the irony that most of this is about his dick not working. So that, again, it's like one of those pretty clear in your face references. Yes. And like, there, there's a shot where he's in the stall where it keeps cutting to like a passage of time. And, it, you know, that's putting us more in his head of like him freaking out and it works. But in one of those shots that that writing on the wall gets much bolder and deeper. And then it's just suddenly not bold and deep again it, it's so weird I, and again a little thing i noticed but i was like okay like we're already questioning what's real and now you're like changing something in front of me it was a little weird yeah it's as if we can also feel i mean if he's supposed to be taking pills and drinking it's like things are sort of distorting the way that he would be seeing them maybe Right. And of, and of course, this is the introduction of uh, this mysterious girl. So, of course, I'm already questioning what is real, what's not. And then we meet her. Right. And I never realized everybody talks about how much she looks like Effie. And I never thought that she did. And then this rewatch, I'm like, oh, she is sounds like she's pretending to be Effie. <laughs> See, that's so interesting because... When I look at her, I, of course, maybe this is of, I've, I've watched this episode so many times that I have such deep theories, but to me, I read her as, is it allowed to like, if I say this, will it spoil the end? Do you wait till the end to reveal anything? Mm, whatever, go for it. Okay, okay. I think she looks like Tony. I think she looks like a female version of Tony. And 
you know, I, the argument is there that uh, Effie obviously <laughs> looks like a female version of Tony, but I think I think the I think the point was to make this girl look like Tony uh, and to represent him to a degree. And apparently her name is Beth, and I I never knew that till now. I, n- I didn't even notice that until now. Which no, is that w- <laughs> Effie's name is Elizabeth? Effie yeah, that's Elizabeth. right. That's right. That's a really good point. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think they call her Beth in the episode. But it was in the cast list, and then I, I used subtitles on Hulu when I was watching it, and it does say Beth at one point. And I was like, oh, I kind of liked not knowing her name. Yeah, I thought it was intentional that she didn't have a name. And I, I always, did too. I have like a mandala effect where yeah. I thought that she was like, her name was like unnamed girl. That's what I thought too. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe we're in the same boat here. I thought it was the Mandela effect that, like, in the cast at the end of the episode, it said, like, unnamed. Apparently now she's Beth, so... She's Beth. (laughs) I mean, her name is not said in the episode, so in my mind, I'm like, I'm just going to pretend that isn't her name. Yeah. I I liked being in the dark about it. It made her much more mysterious. Right, because then you could interpret it as to, oh, is this Tony facing himself, or is this supposed to be more like his sister? If they give her part of Effie's name, it kind of leans that way a little bit. I feel like they wanted us, by the end, to think she was Tony, that she was like a part of his subconscious. Maybe she wasn't really there, I think is what they were going for. But giving her a concrete name like that (laughs) really is like an extra mind fuck on top of everything. Because just when you think you have it figured out, you're like, oh, wait, her name is Beth. It was Beth. What a a weird uh, decision. Yeah. And then to make things even more confusing, then he wakes up again. So we don't know if he's waking up from the night out from the club or if this whole thing was just a dream inside a dream inside a dream right. at this point. Yeah. Um, but anyway, whatever's happening, whatever realm of reality we're in, Michelle and Sid visit him briefly and he's hiding under the bed, which again makes it feel like it's a dream because in real life, would he lay under the bed hiding? Probably right. not. <laughs> it always makes me feel uncomfortable because it it makes him seem very childlike and i think showing effie taking care of him also adds to that um but if you know they if we're trying to see him in like a sexual light like it's weird to see him be a child in the same episode um but that's that's a good point about it being a dream because this is an, an absurd thing that he's doing Right. Um, So he goes on the train to an interview with a university that he's applying for, I guess. And on the train, there's this interesting character who maybe you got the guy's name, but I'm just calling him the guy with like the burned face. Yeah, here I just mainly talked about like how the theme of fire is introduced here of like this man tells this story about oh like i set myself a flame and he's scarred very badly and flames have been a thing that have been related to the stonomes at this point effie back in season one and she's like burning chess pieces or something like that uh, and it's going to continue to be a theme but specifically in this episode a fire is a big big theme and it's introduced here and um, if, I, if, we're, if I'm reading into this, which of course you've talked to me for a few minutes by now, you know I've read into this. And yeah. to me, like, 
uh, this is another manifestation of Tony's subconscious of is he going to let himself be consumed or uh, a version of himself that, you know, he could have been consumed if he hadn't, you know, I'm not saying it was great. He was hit by a bus, but from a writing standpoint, he was extremely unlikable. And it was kind of like a, a re a reset button, a plot device bus. Um, so this episode is him merging with the shitty Tony of season one and this nicer Tony we've gotten to see. Uh, so, so, you know, a little off topic, but I think the goal of this episode is to be like, all right, here's the best of both worlds uh, in terms of those two characters by the end. But yeah, I know. I think this guy definitely represents just like Tony being consumed by being an asshole, basically. And this guy says fine and dandy again, which I think establishes that he's not real or at least Tony is projecting what he not wants to hear but i think the fine and dandy is meant to establish like okay uh cassie said this to him last night and now it's kind of popping back up to be like you know this isn't real it's not what it seems i thought that the guy on the train is the same actor as the asshole teacher guy who does he is okay i was like am i tripping (laughs) and i just can't tell these guys apart or is it the same actor playing these two different roles which same guy (laughs) since i run a batman podcast uh shout out to gotham the tv show because he's alfred in that um but yeah i just think he stands out with his he has like real real rough voice so yeah i think they did it on purpose for sure so tony gets to the school and we meet the tour guides who are like the typical like dweeby tour guides of a university campus and okay i have to take a moment to give my bristol's best award for this episode to a random extra girl because everyone is rocking their like hot topic emo looks and there's one girl who's an extra she has like the huge scene hair with a stripe extension she's wearing cheetah leggings with jean shorts she has a Jack Amazing. Daniels t-shirt with a pink cardigan and like layered necklaces. And it was exactly how I dressed back then. So this random extra, <laughs> I don't even know if she has a name, but she wins my Bristol's Best Award. Yes. And I I picked up on the emo kids in the background, maybe on like my third or fourth rewatch. I was like, wait a minute. Why are there so many emo kids in here? And <laughs> so I don't think there was a point to that. I was like, did did they need extras? And they were just like, okay, here's a group come in. Or was it intentional to like make it seem even more surreal because there's not a point? But I'm going to come back to Effie's shirt from earlier and say maybe it was completely intentional because she had that shirt on and if Tony saw that, and now we're, I think we're in a dreamlike state of Tony's right now, this whole university trip, if it's just projections of his subconscious, um, I think Effie's shirt could have made a slight impact and just subconsciously he's manifesting these emo kids. Like it's, and it's, it's, it's so clever to the point where I'm like, maybe it wasn't intentional and I'm just reading into it, which is, again, why I wrote Jamie Brandon at one point. I was like, <laughs> I, that would have been one of my questions of like, okay, did the emo kids have a point? Which, again, is kind of like the Donnie Darko of it, because with yeah. they have done interviews with the writer and producer of Donnie Darko, and they were like, oh, we didn't even like think of these things. And so right. it's like genius by accident that 
Yes. You couldn't even because re- I was thinking the same thing. Like, do they just have a bunch of extras that happen to all dress emo just because of the time and the location, or was exactly. it like a deeper meaning that we're supposed to pick up? Right, think- and like I would have said it was completely nothing to read into until I noticed every shirt this time around, and I was like, what are the odds that we have? very noticeable emo people in the background and then f is wearing this emo shirt like i don't know maybe it was a complete coincidence yeah listeners write in with what you think yeah what do you think and and polly and <laughs> polly and derek the two guides of this tour they are not real they everything they are saying is complete absurdity and it's so weird and I again I'm trying to read into it this time around to me I was like okay if they're not real what are they what do they represent and I read into like maybe this is Michelle and Sid of how Tony sees them and like we do get this exchange of like she thinks of him like a brother he wants it to be more um so again I'm just at the point where like everything here Tony is projecting and I don't know how much of it is real So Tony walks into the class after the little orientation with the guides, and there's the same actor, Sean Partwee, the same guy who was on the train, but he no longer has burns all over his face, and he's now the instructor in the class, and he's such an asshole, and he's really condescending, he's dunking on this guy who was doing missionary work, and so I wanted to ask you, like, what do you think is the point of this class? in like this scene. This scene in particular? Yeah. I think it's just to establish Simon as a character for his scene later, the confrontation, and also to reintroduce Tony to Beth. Uh, because we keep saying how dreamlike this is, there's not a logical, coherent timeline here because Tony just kind of shows up and starts this tour. And then it's like, okay, well now he's going to this interview and later he rejoins the inner or he rejoins the tour and they act like he shouldn't have left so like it just doesn't seem like it's real if it's if it's happening at all i think a lot of it is in his head that he's projecting but in terms of simon i think um i think he represents a version of tony that was him if he didn't change Uh, and again i'm not saying it was a great thing that he got hit by a bus but if it made him a better person, like, good on him. Uh, I think later on in the episode, the confrontation will sh- almost quite literally or textually says that this is to- a future version of Tony. Uh, and I think it's for Tony to denounce his his past cruelty. Uh, so I don't know if this scene is doing that. I think that'll come later. Um, but I think it's setting it up. Yeah, and so he and... Uh, Beth. I'm just going to call her her name now, I guess. Um, I call her Animus Girl. (laughs) He and Beth leave the interview with Simon and she pushes him into the pool as he's protesting that he can't swim. And she tells him, just flow. And she's sort of pushing him literally into the pool, but also mentally and emotionally and physically to do things that he doesn't think he can do ever since the accident. And we saw him in the kids swimming class a couple episodes ago. So we know that that's been something he's struggling with. By the time he opens his eyes in the pool, she's now gone. And the guides are really aggressively saying, don't follow her join us and like it makes me think that they're like manifestations of like his doubts and not wanting 
to progress. Not that he doesn't want to get better, but that he's scared that he's going to change and be different. And it can be scary. So like, I think all these people are just, whether they're real people or not, or he's just hearing what he not one want, not wants to hear but is we're in his subconscious with him to a degree like i think they're all just trying to stop him from getting better at least these characters are here in the group uh and simon in the earlier scene said i think you should go with her tony which is interesting to me because of this is such a douchebag character like it's it's odd for him to be supporting him to go after beth who i think is beginning to represent um, everything Tony lost his uh, I'll just say animus since that comes up later yeah definitely so Simon's kind of like I didn't take the opportunity to deal with my internal shit when I could have and now I'm just like a grumpy old man who's wishing he did more right. with his life like, <laughs> like you're more generous than me because I'm like Simon isn't real he's not there He, I think he's just Tony uh, seeing what he needs to see to overcome this tragedy and trauma. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it is just such a weird thing to have that character be the one that says, uh, pursue her. And then the next scene is where she Beth is in the chemistry lab and she turns all the lights off. And again, it's like a pretty in-your-face metaphor yes. for him needing to... I guess, trust himself and like go through the darkness <laughs> and go through these obstacles. Right. Like it goes yes. from so subtle sometimes in the episode that you're like, is this on purpose or not? And then sometimes it's just so in your face. Like, okay, Definitely. we get it. It's like, I think from the, from the time Tony is on the bus to the end of the episode or to the time he leaves the university, I think that is like a larger, okay, this is the obstacle or metaphorical obstacles that he's getting through to get better. Uh, but I think this scene in the lab is specifically like a smaller representation of that. Uh, Cause it's quite literally like, okay, you have to get through this dark room. Like it's very in your face. Like you said, uh, she does have this line that it's not clever, but the way she says it makes it one of my favorite lines from the episode. And it's when we'll call her Beth. Beth says, this is a lab. It's an experiment. <laughs> and it's so corny, but I love it. Yeah. And then they like run away from the lab. They go to the dorms where we meet Matt and Toby, who are smoking hookah in their room. And they're pretty suave, I guess. They seem pretty chill. Where Can I say how freaking queer this whole scene is yeah of course <laughs> like okay so tony and beth show up there's already sexual tension between tony and beth we get matt and toby um obviously they get interrupted by the the tour guides and they have a weird exchange that i tried to read into couldn't get anything so i was like okay this is just absurd yeah. but then we get to matt and toby stripping to join beth and tony as naked and the sexual tension you could just cut it with a knife like if the, all that weed smoke was a uh, butter you could cut it but it's just there it's potent with this like sexuality and desire and like you could pass it up as like oh they're all just super horny for beth but like i don't 
I, I read it as like Matt and Toby were very touchy feely when they answered that door. Um, and the scene, this is the scene where Beth gets the tattoo. And when we see Matt strip, it's very sensual. Like we're as viewers, we're supposed to be like, man, he's sexy. And we see Beth approach him and she is kind of ogling him almost. And we get Tony doing the exact same thing. And when she asks about the tattoo and he's like, I could do it for you now. They both look to Tony for permission. This is almost like it's a metaphorical threesome. Tony is super queer and there is sexual tension between him and every person in this room. And even if Beth is a a part of him, that still counts. That still counts. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think like he hasn't had this spark. We haven't seen him have this tension with anyone since the accident. And this is also the first time we've seen anyone challenging him and pushing him. None of his friend group has really been pushing him to grow or like work on his skills. They're just sort of hands off letting him go at his own pace. So I think that being in this environment again i'm talking about it as if it's real in this scene he's been pushed and challenged by beth and maybe that's like lighting up that spark in him which is like connected with his sexuality because one of his biggest drives as a character is sexuality (laughs) yes and i think beth definitely represents that um his animus which a part of that is a part of the animus the passion desire i think they say at one point um yeah so like like you said like you can talk about this as if it's completely literal and then there's the other end where it's like none of this could be real we just don't know that's why it's such a fun episode to dissect and like because no matter how much you read into it either way there's no answer and either any answer could be just as plausible as the next so as a selfish gay myself i'm like okay this whole scene to me just screams like sexual tension between all of these people yeah absolutely definitely and she um says there's so many things you couldn't do sort of challenging him again where he says oh i can't swim i can't get a tattoo i can't do all these things i can't have sex that's the biggest one why do you think they made beth a girl like, if she is representing Tony's animus, and if we are to read her as a part of his subconscious, why is she a woman? And I think there's the basic answer of, like, so that they could fuck at the end <laughs> as a very blatant, <laughs> oh, he got it back. Well, I guess you could get kind of deep into Tony as a character, and also there's a lot of, like, Freudian undertones through this whole episode his relationships with women are more motivating to him than he sees himself as the alpha male. So I don't think there's a lot of male roles that would be able to challenge him in that way. And I think that a woman is the only person that he would listen to because it's like, what are the other options? Like he's not going to listen to someone like Sid, you know? Fair, fair. (laughs) I think that, his relationships with women are very interesting overall. My friend Chris, who is a, a different Chris than my co-host Chris, but he pointed out that like Tony 
likes or I don't want to say likes, but like when he's in a ro- romantic relationship with someone and even just friendship wise, he he is drawn or seeks out people that he can control and like be the top dog with. So like this girl, Beth, is not that. So it, I find it very, really interesting that, I mean, I really do think she's just female Tony at this point or at least how he would like to be. Um, but I think it's something to unpack about him being drawn to someone that he can't control, too. Yeah, which just so happens to be a lot like Effie's character. Right. I mean, there. <laughs> yes, there, they, there are lots of similarities to Beth and Effie. And I think that stems from, like, they're both just uh, connected to Tony. Like, they stem from Tony. And Michelle's, like, the opposite of that, because Michelle is so just, like yeah normie she's like very normie super normie and i'm like i think tony just like loves emo bitches like Uh, maybe that's like what this whole thing is is like tony just like loves emo bitches that's what it is that's why there's so many emo girls in the background After being in the dorms and watching Beth get the tattoo and have that conversation, Tony goes to Simon's office and there's an admissions interview. And Simon's just a huge dick to him, basically. What did you think about this part? I feel like I got into it a little bit earlier, but like they just make it very clear right away that like, oh, this is a douchebag. He speaks like tony at least how tony used to do uh and how we saw him earlier when he confronted sid and then freaked out afterwards uh tony speaks very short deeper voice even and like narcissist he just speaks in a way that's narcissistic that like he thinks what he's saying is above you and we got this from this guy in that first scene with simon the lecturer um and i was like okay like obviously this is if we're looking into everything representing a deeper part of tony this is who tony was or could have grown into being and they just quite literally jump into it here where tony says i'm you before you shriveled up and died um and i i didn't expect it to get that blunt um but they kind of like throw it in your face for for better or worse and uh to keep going back to tony's sexuality um Simon says Tony is a polysexual or a a polysexuality mess, something like that. And to me, I mean, polysexual now is a term that's like kind of goes hand in hand with pansexual or like not preferring a gender sexuality wise. So if we were to call Tony polysexual today, um, and and I think there's a case to say Tony is polysexual uh, from the evidence we've been given. But back in the day in 2007, I don't even know if this was like a term people were using. I think in the context that Simon was using it, he was trying to get the point that Tony was promiscuous and liked having multiple sexual partners, um, which I don't think is how the word polysexual is used nowadays. But back then, uh, or maybe Jamie Britton like came up with a new word back then. Props to you, Jamie Britton. Yeah, it was definitely used in a judgmental, condescending kind of way. And a lot of bitterness coming from Simon. I think that, like, one thing I really wanted to just talk about with this scene is 
Something I definitely personally relate to, which is when you go through trauma or even myself having been in like a car accident or just like personal traumas, you do reach a point where you can either let it define the rest of your life or you do need to pick up the pieces and say it's not fair that this happened to me, but it is my responsibility to grow as a person and not let this become my entire life. I sometimes see people that remind me of myself if I had not worked in therapy and done my own healing. And you can sort of just see like that is what happens if you don't do the work, no matter what happens in your life, even if it's not fair to you, even if you're a victim of something like, unfortunately, the responsibility is on you to grow from it and heal from it. Then we kind of just move on to him hooking up with Beth, right? Yeah, yeah. I do like the part where Tony defines animus and he says spirit, courage, passion, wrath. And, you know, I think that is everything Beth is representing here, uh, specifically just because she has that tattoo. Yeah. (laughs) You know, very blunt. Yeah, and we do reference, like, the orpheus story again oh so tony goes back to the dorm and matt and toby are like congratulations tony welcome back and i'm like okay so i guess tony is like in terms of how tony is thinking completely recovered so i guess sleeping with beth is just a plus whereas before i always read it as like okay beth is his animus and when they sleep together it's representing him getting her back or them merging but Mm -hmm. if these matt and toby are like acting like it's already a done deal uh, i was like okay so he didn't need to sleep with beth um but that's where we're at he goes back and they sleep together and um she says i'm gonna stay here for a while it's nice and a quiet something like that uh, it's very it's very sweet and it's kind of sad. It almost feels like it's a goodbye. Um, you know, it could be because she's just a random girl and they're never going to cross paths again, uh, even though they've done it multiple times this episode by coincidence. Uh, or it could be because she's not real. Like, this was all in his head. And she says, don't look back, Tony. And he doesn't look back. And I think it's really beautiful and... Uh, it completely changes how I interpreted the story from the beginning because I think I think Beth is the wife that was lost. I went into this just thinking it was about Tony wanting Michelle back and what Michelle represented for him. But really, I think it was more about Tony getting back his sense of uh, his being himself, which was not a very good self uh, that we were introduced to. But when we see him denounce Simon, the lecturer, who is a manifestation of him and how awful he was, uh, we see him decide to be better, to fully recover, but to to be a better person. And I think that more than just Michelle, it's bigger than Michelle. Um, so I really hate that they put so much emphasis on Michelle and him wanting her back, because I think those are two different things of wanting to be better and wanting your ex-girlfriend back and i think this whole episode was like a love story to tony um you know having the power or the the willpower to get better and beth was the representation of that of what he needed what he was lacking that had been taken away from him so we see tony go back 
he's taking the train away from the university. He goes back to the club and he is ready to confront Sid and Michelle. And finally, he just approaches them. I don't know if you want to go into what happened with Jal, where he just is like, I know that you're lying, Jal. He knows something's up with Jal, basically. That was just like a little tidbit. Um, Yeah, earlier I said how great of a friend Tony was to Jal earlier. And then he kind of acts like a bit of a dick to her in this moment. Um, But he does say like, anyone can see that you're hiding something, Jal, that you're upset. Uh, And I find it interesting that like, we don't know if that's true because I've already established from my theory that Tony is so good at reading people and sensing emotion. Like maybe he's taking it for granted. Like we haven't seen anyone else ask her how she is. Like, we don't know for sure. Like, so my argument stands that maybe Tony's a good friend, uh, even if he's being a bit of a douche right here. Yeah. He is definitely back to himself and he breaks up Sid and Michelle as they're having like gross sex in the bathroom stall and he's like this is wrong you guys know it's wrong you know that I'm supposed to be with Michelle and Sid you're my best friend and Sid you love Cassie so let's just go back to how things are supposed to be and yeah I really I think like Felicia who was the last guest um was saying that she didn't really think Tony has changed that much and it's like we're kind of left wondering, okay, so if he's gone through all of this, he's got his animus back just to put things exactly as they were before the accident. Like, has he changed or no? (laughs) Uh, Like, you're you're asking a Tony apologist, so... Yeah, well, that's fine. You can have your... No, no, I'm totally (laughs) teasing. I think he has changed. Like I said, I I think this episode was a whole great metaphor of him of the writers combining the shitty Tony that we got rid of and nice, cute Tony that we slowly got to meet throughout this season. And I think they just combined them and took the best of both. Um, And, uh, you know, there's this scene coming up where he goes and um, comforts Cassie. And it's so sweet. Like earlier he left her and she's like, well, what about our date? And I felt so bad for her, but he goes back and comforts her. And I think it's one of the most beautiful sweet scenes in the whole show because he knows that she's so sad and she needs someone um and he just it's just so self it's a selfless act and i think that's to show that yeah like past tony probably wouldn't have done that but in terms of him having not changed there's that moment where michelle is like tony are you trying to scare me and i'm like michelle's perception of tony may not have changed and he says we work and it's like well did you work if she if her first instinct is to think that you're trying to scare her into getting back with you maybe it wasn't working uh you know maybe 2007 standards they thought it was working but looking back i don't think it was working and some things are too broken to be fixed uh, i would say their relationship is one of those things And so I do think Tony changed. I think he changed. Um, I think he still has the animus from his past self, uh, took the best parts of shitty Tony and bus wrecked Tony. And, you know, he's better for it. But that doesn't mean everyone's going to see you as having changed, whether you're a viewer or you're Michelle, the character. Like, you know, uh, we say don't look back in the episode. And I think he just needs to move forward. 
Yeah, definitely. We see so many complexities to Tony's character that weren't really there in season one, where he was just like the asshole guy. And now there are so many different facets of him. And we see how much he loves his friends and he can be so compassionate and delicate with them. And with Effie too, he goes home and he kisses Effie on the forehead and he definitely loves his family. So we see he is like this multifaceted person who is kind of trying to hold on to what his life was like before the accident but that's not going to serve him, but we're watching from the outside, so we know that, but maybe he doesn't realize, like, your right. old life doesn't serve you because you weren't even that happy back then. Right. <laughs> like... And just because I, I I said Tony changed, that doesn't mean I think he's not an asshole still, because he says to Sid, you can't have her. And it's like, oh, that's very possessive. That's kind of gross. So I think he definitely still has areas that he's not great in, but... I don't think he's a bad person. Whereas before I think he was like trying to be a bad person. Whereas now he's trying to be good, but maybe he still does have some asshole tendencies. And the teenager, like the human side of it all, right. which is that he's probably feels like, fuck you, Sid. You like, you made a move on my girlfriend. Right. Just as much as he's still mad at Michelle. But I think it is pretty human to be like, okay, you're my best friend. You could have not been fucking my girlfriend right. this entire exactly. time. So it's right. kind of fair. <laughs> oh, definitely. And him, like, going and taking care of Effie at the end, like, he kisses her on the forehead. He hides her booze. Like, he's looking out for her in a way that we saw in his first episode, the pilot, at the very, very beginning. And this is just the, the role reversal has gone back to him being the parental figure. Uh, whereas in this episode and of course the season she's been in that role for him and now it's back to how it quote should be right and the end of the episode we just see that he has this tattoo on his back which could be real but probably is just to show like that this has made a mark on him and that it's gonna stay with him this change is gonna stay with his character through the rest of the season that's how i interpreted it yeah, like they show that tattoo on him through a mirror. And to me, that's to cue like, okay, it's not real. Like yeah. it could be real, but I don't think the writers were intending it to be real. I interpreted the reveal as like, oh my God, Beth wasn't real. Because if we watched her get the tattoo, but it's on Tony, Beth was Tony. Yeah. Um, and But who's to say that that scene was literal and that he someone actually got tattooed. If I had to guess, I would say it's none of that scene was no. real. <laughs> I like, don't so I don't even know if Tony got off the bus because when it cuts back to him on the bus, he's kind of daydreaming and it looks like he's moved seats, but it's like, there's nothing to indicate that, okay, any of the university stuff is real. So I, I think probably they intended it all just to be in his head. and But, you know, we just don't know. It would be kind of funny to just like strictly read this as a literal episode and be like and then tony got a tattoo the end <laughs> right like it just yeah it would blow your mind like i just I'm, I'm flashing back to the tour guides being like everybody loves cheese and wine like there's just so much of it that's absurd and that's why i love this episode and the fact that there's not a definitive answer by the end 
Yeah, it's a really fun episode, and I'm really happy we got to talk about it and just get like so deep into it. I'm really happy to talk to someone else and get like other opinions about it other than my own. So thank you so much for coming on this episode. Again, this is TJ from the Gotham Outsiders, a Batman book club podcast. And if you want to link your socials, you can go for that. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at TroyFin2. That's T-R-O-Y-F-I-N-2. That's also my Instagram. I don't use that as often except to talk to Augustine. Uh, But you can follow me both places. Currently, as of recording, my Twitter is locked (laughs) because they found out I made it when I wasn't 13 yet. Um, So I'm waiting to get it back. But hopefully by the time this airs, I will be back on Twitter and you can follow me. So yeah, definitely follow TJ on social media and listen to their podcast. And thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on here. I really appreciate it. And I will see you guys next Friday for episode seven. Make sure you follow at Oh Wow the Podcast on Instagram. And I'm always on the YouTube and Reddit. I'd love to talk to you guys about what you think about this episode as well. So I will see you all next week. Thanks. Bye.